Today, Jeff in the live studio at the beautiful facilities on Orleans Avenue, WHIV FM. How we doing tonight? Um, I'm doing all right. I've been, uh, you know, after being sick for an entire week, I've uh, even even though we were able to get a show out, which you know, props to us for that. I pat myself on the back for that one. Uh, me and Robert were able to get one out, which is good, even though I felt absolutely on my back for about six days. And every COVID test that I took came back negative. I took like three tests, like three straight tests, and all of them were negative. So I don't know what's up there. I just felt like super run down, super wiped, but no, nobody cares about that. Um, I'm back. Uh, I'm doing the thing live on Saturday. How is everybody doing? Um, so yeah, uh, just a quick kind of programming note. We're going to be keeping, hopefully as, you know, the Omicron wave recedes, uh, I suppose, uh, as this whole thing sort of backs off, uh, hopefully more and more. Uh, as time goes, we're going to try and get the band back together. It's, you know, we're going to be following station rules for sure. Um, but we're going to try and get the band back together, do some, you know, full crew recordings um, and kind of really get the ship sailing. Uh, I am definitely rolling on Twitch. I was on Twitch last night, actually, um, after the thing I have to tell you about, uh, which is... Uh, Jefferson Parish School Board. I know we talked about that last week and we talked about that the week before. It's been like exciting stuff with Jefferson Parish School Board. I'll tell you what. Uh, and it never ends up being like great news. Not going to lie. Um, but last night was actually pretty inspiring. So folks that don't know, um, less than a month ago, January 5th, was the last, like, full school board meeting. Um, and the prior month in December, Larry Dale, a, you know, member of the school board who is, he was elected. Uh, he was, he's a business guy, right? He literally got appointed to, like, the local chamber of commerce or whatever, like one of these business organizations. You know, all these business people the business community, as they like to call themselves, which is hilarious. Um, they love getting in these positions where uh, they're essentially just, you know, in education, like like in education, um, like positions. They want to control education because they want to make charter schools and, and all these other things, right? So... Larry Dale, not a friend of teachers, steps down. This guy, Raphael Rafiti, we talked about him before, who is a contractor, definitely one of these business guys. He steps up. The only, and by the way, nobody knew how to apply for this. Most people didn't. It wasn't like very, very widely known public information. So this one guy who uh, steps up, who was highly endorsed by the board, by the way, um, he, it turned out he was at the January 6th, you know, riot in D.C. Some people call it insurrection, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, but he was there. Um, also, he had some, he was, he was posting about it on his social media, on his Twitter. Um, and like, they actually talked about this at the board meeting, that he needs to, like, delete the tweets and all this other stuff, which I think is hilarious. Because that means that they knew what was going on, the, the board did. Um, anyway, he, um, he gets appointed, this information comes out, and also he had a specific tweet, 
where he said uh, that teachers are the fall of our young children in this society. They're lazy drains on, you know, on, on people that actually make money. All this, like, very, very strongly, very, very, like, anti-teacher rhetoric that he was throwing out there. And the board appointed this guy. Right, so when there's a when there's a um, vacancy on the school board, the school board votes to appoint that person, and that this is who they chose. And then this information comes out; they knew something existed. They didn't look into it; they just approved this guy. And you know, by Friday he resigns. They the ball the board calls for him to resign, and he resigns. So <laughs> we still have an open seat on the school board as of as of that day. And so, fast forward to the twenty first last night, uh, where after all of this attention was brought into the um, situation. Nine people put forward their, you know, put their put forward their um, resumes and all this other stuff to a- apply for this position for for you know to fill this school board seat, District Six. Um, and three of those people that are. Um, that were that went for that job for that went for that position were very experienced teachers. Lena Nucio, who literally taught me in college, she literally taught me classroom management. Uh, she like everybody that went to UNO knows her. She like, I mean, I think she would be an incredible superintendent to be totally honest. Um, but like. She she is somebody who was absolutely one hundred percent like qualified for this position. Um, Lauren Jewett, who is a good friend of of mine, actually, uh, she is a teacher. Like she is a special education teacher in Orleans. She teaches at a, a school in Orleans. Um, to she 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 stepped up for the job. She's extremely qualified for this position absolutely uh and uh, a guy i know a little bit less a former principal uh guy named randy bennett uh he he was a principal at he was a principal at um riverdale which is a school out in jefferson parish so um yeah three people that are extremely well qualified for the board from the perspective of educators, especially that's an important part, right? They came up and then there were six others, um, a marketing consultant, a business dude, like um, some accounting intern. I, I want to talk about him in a minute. A uh, pharmacy manager, a law professor, insurance. What they want to do about education? They got kids in the school system. Fine, but like, does that mean they know what's going on here? Not. I mean, not necessarily. So anyway, um, last night on at Friday at five o'clock. Good way to ruin somebody's Friday, by the way. This could have happened on a Tuesday. Um, there was a board meeting where they essentially took uh, these, you know, nine people and, like, publicly interviewed them. They gave them three minutes to do a statement and then started asking questions. And, well, (laughs) things sort of, like, got a little bit weird when, well, specifically... There was this guy, Mick, Michael Petalino, who was some business guy. I don't know. He runs some kind of company. I don't really know who he is, but he was definitely somebody that was favored by this, by the like business like caucus, I guess you could say, on the board. The representative by the business people. The business community. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he 
um, when asked a question about diversity and inclusion, said he was qualified to work on that kind of thing because his because uh, he had friends. <laughs> his kid had friends that were black and Muslim, so that made him qualified, which was awesome. That was great. Um, but uh, regardless, that was just a little you know fun fun sprinkle in there. Um, regardless of that, um, there were multiple, he was one of the people that were nominated essentially. So that the board ends up like nominating and then there's public comment for people to come up and speak for and against, uh, the first person that they nominated was a, a law professor and she didn't get like, they, like this was actually kind of wild, like just totally random. It felt like. Uh, there was they voted on this law professor. She couldn't get the necessary votes to do it. Then they bring up this Petalino dude, and I get up because there was an opportunity for public comment. And I said, "Hey, we, you know, why don't we talk about the educators here? You know, there's three extremely qualified educators. Um, why don't we, <laughs> why don't we bring them in? Why don't we talk? Why don't we interview them? Uh, why don't we nominate them? And, and then we work it out. So um, the the first two fail. Then they nominate Lauren Jewett, um, who is, again, an educator. Uh, she uh, ends up... This is where something very interesting happened, right? So um, some folks got up there, including myself. We spoke in favor of an educator getting on this school board and said that essentially the, 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 the board should... Um, you know, a point that this is an educator definitely should, should do that. Right. And, um, <laughs> really quickly, like this is my personal position. This is not do it. WHIV. Um, but anyway, there was this really weird sort of like tortured logic that the board sort of like rolled out there. And there was one guy from, the business side too. He was a black guy. He literally got up, came to the thing, came to the, the public comment part to the microphone and said that, Oh, we have two educators on the board. What we really need is diversity and inclusion of not just teachers, but other people, which is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And then Shortly thereafter, the board president, Clay Moyes, another one of these business people, said that we have two educators um, who, two guys, Billy North and uh, LeBlanc, um, Gerard LeBlanc, who... I mean, if you were to ask educators if there was anybody on that, I mean, technically they are, they have long time educators, but if you were to ask educators if they thought that Billy North and Gerard LeBlanc were making policy that represented their interest, if they knew, if the educators knew what they were talking about, they would say no. And... When, and, and he essentially said, we have enough... We have enough representation from educators on this board. Thank you very much. You didn't say it quite like that, but that was the, the message. Essentially, <laughs> like medical boards, you know, are, are completely comprised of doctors. But education boards are not. They're, they're, they're publicly funded, so uh, they're publicly elected and things like that. So it's, it, it's just one of these weird... Um, things, but but <laughs> it, it, it's just wild. It, it 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 boggles the mind that one some guy would get up and talk about diversity and inclusion of like non-educated of like people by their like, but but like like we need to be diversify and include the business community in the decisions that schools make. That's what diversity inclusion is, which is insane, right? And then 
yeah, we have enough represent representation on this board by educators, sweaty. It's just like we see what's up. We know what's going on here. You don't give a damn about the educators. You're just here to 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 juice yourself, your own, you know, business interests for it. And, you know, you say that you're interested in like what's going on with the educators or whatever, but you don't. You don't. You don't care. You don't give a damn. Otherwise, you would put educators in this position. So anyway, um, <laughs> in this, um, when they voted on Lauren for the position, Lauren Jewett, uh, reminder, she's an edu- like an elementary school teacher. She has experienced on boards in the past. She knows what goes on in classrooms every day. Only two people voted in favor of her. Simeon Dickerson and Ricky Johnson. And the two educators... Well, okay, let me be a little bit fair to Simeon here. Simeon also was an educator um, as well. Um, He has some teaching experience, so I just wanted to not short him on that. Um, But So one of the educators supported her. The other two didn't. Why? Uh. So anyway... Uh, after that, uh, the person that was eventually chosen for the position was a woman by the name of Diane Schnell, who is a marketing consultant for Telemundo. Uh, she was put forward by Ricky Johnson, who's a friend of the school board, a friend of the educators, rather, a uh, school board member uh, from you know, in Jefferson Parish. Um, and yeah, that, that was that. I mean, who knows what this position is? Who knows what, where she's going to side and where she's going to vote? Um, I know Ricky does a lot of, you know, playing peacemaker in these sorts of situations. Um, but yeah, the other weird thing that night, it was that there was this, this there was a kid there, uh, like a, probably like 20-something-year-old, the marketing intern or whatever. What is it? Insurance intern? Yeah, accounting intern. Um, I did a little bit of researching on some of these folks and this guy, the accounting intern, on his Instagram, like literally is one of these Talking Points USA, like college diaper wearers, essentially. There's a photo of him at a Talking Points USA convention on his Instagram, hanging out with, like, Sebastian Gorka and stuff. So um, he didn't have a chance of getting on, but, like, seeing this, you know, freak attempt to come up for a, you know, very important school board position, uh, it ain't great. I don't like it. So anyway, that's how the school board meeting went. That's how things, you know... That's how things went down. Literally, they, like the Jefferson Parish School Board voted against appointing an educator to the District 6 position. Uh, absolutely disgraceful. Absolutely disgusting. Uh, there are elections that are coming up in, uh, coming up in uh, November where um, I know that the education side, uh, including you know, my union, JFT, are going to put forward some strong candidates, possibly some candidates from the uh, that were present last night, and maybe we will get some interviews. I'll uh, get some get some you know content. Get some people out there. I want to give you as much information about Jefferson Parish School Board as you want. So there you go. There you go. Uh, you are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. My name is Jeff. This is Good Morning Comrade. How is everybody doing today? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. You can follow me on Twitter at Eminent Prof, E M I N E N T P R O F. So, all right, let's move on. Oh, boy. Oh, the Democrats. So this week, 
So first off, the Democrats have been <laughs> fighting this same exact fight with themselves for, I mean, for this entire, like, you know, since Joe Biden and, you know, the House and the House and the Senate have been controlled by Democrats. They've been fighting with themselves with particularly, you know, a small group of, you know, between two and five conservative Democrats that essentially have short circuited the agenda that like Joe Biden essentially ran on the oh, I am FDR agenda uh, has been short circuited by people like you know, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema and some others behind the scenes, by the way. The rotating villain in the Democratic Party um, is... It's, it, it goes deeper than the news covers, right? Mark Warner, for example, did not want the PRO Act to pass along with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. I think, I think actually, did Manchin come around on that? I don't remember. Um, Mark and Mark Kelly also was bad on, on the pro act. Uh, and just for people that might not know the pro act was, or is it's still, you know, in Congress, it can still pass. Um, but it is the most sort of pro union legislation that's been put forward in any of our lifetime. It would make it easier to, to, to start unions, things like that. But anyway, uh, same, same, you know, rotating cast of villains keeps popping up over and over again and stymieing everything Democrats want to do from the pro act to, you know, the built back better to, you know, you name it. If it's, you know, a part of the Joe Biden and I don't even, you know, all my, all my homies hate Joe Biden. Um, but anything that's part of his agenda that was put forward, uh, was stymied by these people, including the very first bill that they even got passed in the House, which was a voting rights bill. So this is an... Uh, I'll be reading from an article um, from Axios. This is from a couple days ago. Democrats failed to change Senate rules to pass voting rights bill. Now, just to set the table for this, um, you know, this is... This is just how I see it. Republicans in this country, you know, the more conservative part of the, you know, just to be, just to sort of circle back a little bit, like in many, many, many ways, the differences between Democrats and Republicans are largely aesthetic. I just want to like just throw that out there. Just they both have, they both push for a capitalist agenda that disempowers workers. They are fundamentally against public services for everyone. Things like that. Right? The, 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 the difference between the Republicans and Democrats in a lot of ways is the degree. Or who gets it. Right? Like how many people get it as opposed to everybody gets it. They have like different little margins that they, that they would support these things for. But anyway, one of the things where they do differ, one of the places that they do differ is right now at least voting rights and there has been a long and storied campaign in this country state by state where republicans would essentially um disenfranchise voters draw up districts in all kinds of crazy ways to make it so that they have numerical advantages of um of seats in things like the House of Representatives or state legislatures or, or, or all these things and implement things like voter ID laws, which literally depress voting. Um, and they use as a justification for that a, you know, a wholly and completely misrepresented um, sort of a completely and completely misrepresentative sense of like voter fraud, which is something that is trivial. The amount of voter fraud in this country is absolutely trivial. There's like, you know, hundreds or something cases in the past like decade. And 
you know, when you implement something like these quote unquote voter ID laws, uh, voter suppression laws, you're suppressing thousands of voters. So you're definitely like if if you're swatting a fly, you know, that is something like voter fraud or whatever, you're using a nuclear weapon to uh, swat that fly. That's essentially what you're doing. You're you're completely and over, uh, completely and um, un, and totally overkilling the problem because it's it helps you. So just to sort of get that part squared away, and just to put a uh, a pretty fine point on this, actually, um, there is a video and and that that came out in the 19 in 1980 Paul Weirich one of the founding members of the modern conservative movement in America um, he addressed like a religious right group in 1980 and this is what he said this is what he said folks They want everybody to vote. Well, he said, how many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo sentiment when it comes to voting? Good governance. They want everybody to vote. I don't want that. I want, um, well, hold on. I'm reading it because I'm sorry I had a, um, I'm, I'm, uh, Sorry. Now, now, now many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome. Good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in elections, quite candidly, goes up as the voting populace goes down. So... He's like laying it all on the table there. He's taking the quiet part and he's blasting it out of a sound cannon, you know, and saying that, and this is something that is still uh, carried throughout today, that he wants, that he and people that think like him, conservatives largely, want voting to be a limited franchise, which is, by the way, like the entire justification for things like Jim Crow, right? How do you divide people? How do you divide who gets to vote or not? Uh, well, in Jim Crow, it was racial lines and, and things aren't that different now. There's, you know, there were things like poll taxes and, and all kinds of other um ways that they would the grandfather rule if your grandfather was allowed to vote or able to vote then you can vote um if he wasn't then you can't vote oh and and essentially you'll never have a situation where your grandfather would be allowed to vote because that's generational so just to say that's just to say that like some of the same ideas and forces of voter suppression from, you know, the Jim Crow era and the early, you know, late 19th, early 20th century. And now aren't that different. That's all. So, um, just real quick. I want to pause for station ID. You are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans, 102.3. This is good morning, comrade. Uh, my name is Jeff. Hello. Good morning. How are you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at EminentProf, E-M-I-N-E-N-T-P-R-O-F. Excuse me. And uh, yeah, so just to kind of continue on talking about voting rights, um, there's a pretty strong conservative, um, a pretty strong conservative, like, I don't even want to say impulse because this is like organized and coordinated effort. How about that effort? That's the word. Um, a strong coordinated effort by conservatives 
to suppress voting. And, you know, most people in this country um, don't, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat, um, you know, optimistic that most people think that that everybody should be able to vote. That's that that the you know Weirich far right uh, religious conservative position is you know somewhat marginal in America. But what they end up doing to cover it up is or to justify what they're doing is to say oh voter fraud, right? So just to kind of reset that, and the Democrats passed. A bill called the Freedom to Vote Act. It has been named the John Lewis Ad- Right to Advancement Act as well. Um, through the House of Representatives, which they have a majority in. So that's good, right? Comes to the Senate. Well, we have a couple of problems. The Senate is a first off as an institution is complete. Like it's completely ridiculous that the same. You know, the the state of Alaska, which has, you know, I don't even think it's got a million people. It's got hundreds of thousands of people. And California, which has tens of millions of people, um, have both get two senators. That's crazy. So one step right there already, you have a amazingly undemocratic um, way that the Senate operates. The apportionment of senators by state is so super anti-democratic. And then, on top of that, in that, you know, already unrepresentative, um, unrepresentative body, the Senate, in there, you have a rule called the filibuster, which means that not only do you have this like over like over representation of small states but also you need 60 votes in that body to move anything to a vote so it's just the breaks on everything it is absolutely a broken institution 100 1000 well okay let me actually it's an anti-democratic institution. It's not broken. I want to correct myself. Uh, if it was, if it was not so, if it, if the, if I was going to say it was broken, that would imply that the intention of the Senate is to not be democratic, which it's not. It literally isn't. It never was. the The idea of you know representation by state rather than representation by you know, population is crazy. States are land. That's not people. So just, just throw it. Anyway, um, the voting rights bill that went through would essentially counter a lot of this stuff. Right. So Yeah, the Democrats failed after Republicans blocked the voting rights measure from uh, coming to a final vote earlier on Wednesday. So, like, you can stop with this filibuster. You can just stop things. You can just, like, send an email to the leader or whatever and say, hey, I'm going to filibuster this. Can't bring it up. Nanny, nanny, boo, boo. Too bad for you. Um, the voting rights bill combined two separate pieces of legislation already passed by the House, the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act allowing the Senate to bring the measure to the floor to avoid an initial filibuster. Well, guess what? It didn't avoid it. The measure was blocked by Republicans in a 59-41 vote. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer changed his vote to no for procedural reasons. He has to do that to like so he can do um, so he can bring it back up again. Um, between the lines, um, Democratic leaders, including President Biden and Schumer, for weeks have challenged, have called for changing the filibuster rules. So the thing that I just told you about, this extra democratic layer, extra undemocratic layer on the super undemocratic cake, which is the Senate, um, like Joe Biden's like, maybe we should change this around a little bit. Maybe we should, maybe we should change this around a little bit. 
Um, and for weeks, have called for changing the rules to pass federal voting legislation, a key tenant of Biden's agenda. But on Wednesday night, they brought it up to um, vote on whether or not, because you can, you can vote to change the rules in the Senate. And if you have a majority, which the Democrats technically do have, they have the tie-breaking vote, which would come from uh, which would come from the vice president, Kamala Harris, who, um, if it's 50-50, there's a 50-50 split in the Senate. If it were to come to that, Democrats have the tiebreaker. So why can't they change this? What, what's going on here? Oh, okay. Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin are back, baby. That's right. You didn't think you would get away with it that easy. You weren't getting away from them that easy, folks. That's not how it works. They both have just said, well, you can't mess with the filibuster. The filibuster is very important. Um, the filibuster is a very important part of our, uh, you know, democratic, inst- our, you know, senatorial institutions. It's too, you can't mess with uh, the, you know, the laws of nature or whatever is how they sort of frame it. Um, but, Yeah. So Wednesday night's effort were seen as doomed from the start. Manchin and Cinema, who voted in favor of the voting rights legislation, had maintained that they were against changing the filibuster. So if you're against changing the filibuster to get this through, you're against the legislation. You're trying to have it both ways. You're trying to say, oh, yes, I support voting rights. Yes, absolutely, I do. Oh, but I'm not willing to, um, you know, break this literal Jim Crow era law, which makes the Senate even less representative of the people. Oh, no, no, no. That's a bridge too far for me. I'm, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, but anyway, uh, they say they're against changing that. And then, so, uh, just to kind of continue on, while Schumer re- acknowledged the reality that a Senate Democratic Caucus meeting Thursday night, some vulnerable Democrats up for re-election felt the effort would put them in a tough spot. He argued it was worth putting members on the record for historic legislation. Yeah, I mean, he's right. He's right. So anyway, this is another giant L. Just absolutely massive, gargantuan L that the Democrats take because they can't do it. They won't do anything to get these, you know, these basically, you know, demonic forces from within their own, from within their own uh, party to do anything about it. They don't, they're, they're not going to pass voting legislation. Joe Biden ain't going to do stuff, anything about it. So, there you go. You should have a lot. And then, you know what? Actually, you, the Democratic Party said that they, you can do about it because this became from the, the, um, secretary, the press secretary, the person who literally is supposed to be the voice of the Democratic White House of the Biden administration. She comes out and says, my advice to everyone to the, uh, out there who's frustrated, sad, angry, ticked off, feel those emotions, go to a kickboxing class, have a margarita. Like, that's what you should do. About. You do some self-care, sweaty. That's going to make you feel better. <laughs> Come on, dude. Like, what is going on here? Like, that's it? That's the answer? That's what you're, like, most um, sort of, like, top face of your administration or whatever is that, 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 that messaging to the public is supposed to say about it? That's wild. Come on, dude. Come on, dude. That's awesome. Feel those emotions, go to a kickboxing class, have a margarita. It's incredible. That's awesome. She said that on The View. Yeah. On The View. All right. Well, we're, we're moving on. We're not going to stick on this any longer. You're listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. 
This is Good Morning Comrade. My name is Jeff. Sorry, I need a sip of water. Uh, my name is Jeff. You can follow me on Twitter at Eminent Prof. You can follow our show on Twitter at Comrade Morning. Uh, wanted to move on to something that actually was kind of interesting. Uh, popped up pretty recently. Apparently, so this is always like a difficult thing to talk about because, well, it's it feels like it's difficult to talk about it like by design because. All right. There's like the United States just loves to do sanctions on countries that it sort of like determines to be outside of the orbit, right? Or or enemies or whatever. And and in in this particular case it's North Korea. Right? So the United States is essentially trying to get travel ban on North Korea to block them from like testing nuclear weapons that they always mess around with every three or so years, right? This happens all the time. U.S. knows it's going to be... And I'm not, like, defending, like, the North Korean regime or anything like that, okay? I'm not, I'm not coming down either way on this. I live in the United States. I know that, you know, and unfortunately, you know, this is the, the, the harsh reality is that most people don't care about this. But, you know, the United States does pull some imperial stuff all the time. And so um, the United States has essentially been trying to push for uh, sanctions on the people of North Korea. Five North Koreans in response to the recent missile tests in Pyongyang, diplomats said. The move by Beijing and Moscow to essentially stop this uh, came before. I'm reading from an article on Al Jazeera. The move by Beijing and Moscow came before a closed-door UN Security Council meeting on North Korea. So essentially, it's being vetoed by the Russians and the the sanctions are being vetoed by the Russians and the Chinese uh, governments. Um, so it's the second time in two weeks that the United States has done it, and after Pyongyang fired tactical guided missiles this week. Didn't hit anything. It's just testing, right? China and Russia have ever placed a hold on the United States proposal on Thursday, which puts it in limbo, which is kind of like a filibuster, <laughs> too, which is funny. The UN is not a democratic institution particularly either. No, let's not get that confused. But in this place, it's in this situation, it's fine um, because the United States should not be pushing for sanctions in North Korea. And, and then we'll talk a little bit about why in a minute. China told council colleagues it needed more time to study the sanctions, while Russia said more evidence was needed to Pack the U.S. The back the U.S. request, the diplomat said, under current U.N. rules, the block period can last for six months. After that, the council member can extend the block for three more months before the proposal is permanently permanently removed from the negotiating table. So again, essentially, the Security Council on the United Nations is they have the ability, like that's like the the real clout in this organization, right? That's where it's at. And the and, and any you know part of the Security Council can just essentially say no, we're not doing that. Um, Monday's test was North Korea's fourth so far this year, with two previous launches involving hypersonic missiles capable of high speed and maneuvering after liftoff, and another test Friday using a pair of short range missiles fired from train cars. Wow, they trying to make a Metal Gear? Anyway, um, I mean. The thing about nukes, it, it's really interesting. And I'm against nukes, just like they're all bad. Like, just put me down on the record for that. But, like, coming from the United States, the United States telling anybody, like, you can't use nukes when you're the only country in history that has ever used nukes in, in a war situation is a little bit rich, if you ask me. I don't know. Just, just, just throwing that out there. But, but I mean, again, I'm against them all. But, but sometimes you have to look at your source here. In a joint statement, seven UN Security Council members—U.S., Albania, Brazil, France, Ireland, the United Arab Emirates, and Britain. 
And Japan said on Thursday the launches demonstrate the regime's determination to pursue weapons of mass destruction, blah, 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 blah. Two extremely important member states to take the necessary steps to implement sanctions. Nah. We don't need sanctions, dude. We don't need sanctions, dude. Last week, the U.S. imposed unilateral sanctions over the, the missile launches. It, black, it blacklisted five North Koreans, one Russian and one Russian firm, accusing them of procuring goods for programs in Russia and China. If then proposed five of these individuals also subjected to U.N. travel ban and asset freeze, the request had to be agreed by consensus by the Security Council. It was not. The U.S. Department of Treasury said on January 12th that one of the North Koreans being sanctioned was based in Russia and had provided support. To, <laughs> I love when they say we're rattled against Russia. Um, again, I'm no Russia apologist. I am not a like... <laughs> Look, if... If the behavior of somebody else was as bad as the United States, I, I would call them out on that as well. So just throwing that part out there, too. I'm not trying to, like... The United States has a pretty bad reputation in these sorts of things. Um, anyway... Um, the Democratic Social of America, an organization of which I'm a member... I don't speak for the organization. I am a member, and I am... Um, very happy with this statement. The, they have an internationalism committee uh, where they focus on, you know, issues of, imperial, of imperialism, uh, anti-imperialism, primarily. <laughs> um, and also, um, you know, organizing working class, making contact with working class parties in other countries. Uh, put out a statement, which I will currently read. This is posted from two days ago, the 19th of January, 2022. The Democratic Social of America International Committee, I see, calls on the Biden administration to lift the 2017 Trump era instilled U.S. travel ban on North Korea and reinstate the ability to travel and engage in important cultural and educational exchanges, peace activist talks, and reunifications of separated families. Further, we call on the Biden administration to move towards formally ending the Korean War by... Yes, right. The Korean War is still happening, folks. It has been going on for longer than you've been alive, probably, if you're listening. Further, we call on the Biden administration to move forwards formally ending the Korean War by lifting the decades-long sanctions that have devastated the economy and well-being of working-class Koreans uh, in the North and severely undermined efforts to end the war. In-person engagement is one of the most effective ways to counter imperialist narratives and work towards normalizing relations and building mutual trust internationally. The Trump administration's decision over four years ago to end all travel to the North and Biden's continued support for this policy severely undermines the decades-long work Korean peace organizations have done to build towards ending the Korean War. The DSA, I'm sorry, DSA's own, <clears throat> excuse me, DSA's own delegations abroad have given us a crucial outlook in learning and building international solidarity in Latin America. Similarly, many Korean peace activists utilize trips to North Korea as part of a crucial effort to build towards mutual understanding, respect, and trust, as well as reunifying Korean families split during the ongoing imposed separation of the peninsula. For over 70 years, 70 years, folks. For over 70 years, the U.S. has waged continuous war against the people of Korea. Having first militarily occupied the South and installing a military puppet dictatorship, artificially splitting the peninsula in half and directly waging a catastrophic war and a myriad of war crimes and large-scale massacres, the U.S. played a central role in the collective trauma brought onto Korea. To this day, the U.S. still maintains wartime control of the South South Korea's military stations. Nearly 30,000 active U.S. troops control some 15 military bases and organizes yearly large-scale joint military drills. The ones just like the ones that the United States is condemning on, on, on the North right now, by the way. Um, uh, 
uh, organizes yearly large-scale military drills, all against the decades-long protests of Korean peace activists. Even though the fighting had ended 70 years ago, the U.S. continued to escalate its attacks by imposing even harsher and more devastating sanctions and other punitive measures against the North. A recent report by Korea Peace Now estimates nearly 4,000 civilians in the North, 80% of which children died in 2018, is a direct result of sanctions. The U.S. has also routinely used sanctions to undermine cooperation efforts and to effectively control and facilitate the discussion between the North and South around its own geopolitical aims and the, uh, in the Asia-Pacific. With further precarity brought on by COVID-19 pandemic, North Korea faces a variety of problems due to both a loss and, and I, I want to I'll, I'll bring this up at the end. Um, with the further precarity brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic, North Korea faces, faces a variety of problems due to both a loss of tourist income and an impacted economy with the sanctions making it harder to acquire crucially needed medical supplies, food and fuel. Instead of departing from even just the Trump era policies, Biden has continued to support more punitive measures, further deteriorating relations and endangering the lives of ordinary people, all in order to serve the U.S. imperial interests. In lieu of growing widespread global hardship, the U.S. still refuses to subsume its myriad of devastating economic sanctions around the world, fueling needless suffering and death. Democratic Social America joins alongside many Korean organizations, including Korea Peace Now, the International Strategy Center, Women Cross DMZ, um, and Nadoto, sorry, uh, for Korean Community Development to call for an end to the U.S. travel ban in North Korea, lifting sanctions and formally moving the en- to end the North Korean war. I mean, sorry, the Korean war in order for the peninsula to finally begin the process of peace, self-determination and reconciliation without U.S. economically and militarily imposing its geopolitical interests in Korea's affairs any longer. Um, I think this is a a pretty good statement on this issue, and I think it does something that's very critical, I mean, very important, that people that are critical of the statement um, really have me frustrated about. Because one of the things that I, I've seen on it's on Twitter, so you know my, my my fault on that. I'm you know posting my L's here, um, but I see people on Twitter posting that this is like some kind of a defense of the North Korean government or something like that, and I don't see it that way. In no way in this in, in this statement does does it call for or support or even mention the North Korean government in a positive or negative way. Literally all that's happening here is the language is used to say, we need to end the Korean war. It's been going on for 70 years. We need to end it. And we should not be sanctioning the people of North Korea. I mean, it's, I don't know, pretty straightforward to me. Anyway, uh, check out the statement. It's on the uh, international.dsausa.org. You can find it there. Um, and you know, if you feel so inclined share it, uh, I'm generally in favor of ending wars. Uh, the, one of the things about this station is uh, we want to end all wars. So that's that's where we're going with that. So um, let's let's wrap up. Um, you can listen to me every Saturday at eleven. I'm at ten, rather. Wow. Um, you can also check uh, me out on Twitter at Eminent Prof. You can follow the show on Twitter at Comrade Morning. Thank you so much to everyone listening. We love you so much. We love you very, very much. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye.